Hey guys, it's Tana, and welcome to another episode of the Oddity Pottity Podcast. Today we're going to talk about a topic that shivers me timbers like nothing else. Ghost ships. They're like rich people mansions floating on the ocean waves with dead bodies aboard, of course. Because when people die on a ship, as they often do, their bodies are marooned there, and maybe their souls as well. Now there are dozens of ghost ships we could talk about, but there's one who holds the title of most haunted. And while she now resides in her permanent port of call, the souls she claimed at sea still haunt her decks. This is the story of the RMS Queen Mary. Have you ever been on a cruise? I took a cruise once, and I didn't love it. For me, it was like being trapped on a floating Walmart. There's all these weird smells and tight quarters and too many people and something for sale at every turn. Crowds were like jam-packed around the buffet, like they were determined to turn the whole ship into the SS diarrhea. It's really not my scene. I'm in the minority, though. Most people I know love it. And for some, it's a whole lifestyle. I mean, cruise culture is an actual thing, like a cruise cult, if you will. Pre-COVID, the cruise industry was booming. In 2019 alone, 30 million people took to the high seas on the floating Walmart diary of fun cruises. And according to the International Journal of Travel Medicine and Global Health, 623 of them died. Now, death at sea is not uncommon. I mean, think about it. More than 100 people die per minute worldwide. So mathematically, it makes sense that some of those folks might have been chilling in the ocean when the Grim Reaper come a-calling. It's not uncommon for two to three people per week to die during the heavy part of the cruise season. In fact, cruise ships are required to carry body bags and maintain a morgue with a freezer that is, of course, separate from the food storage. And depending on where the ship is at the time of death, it may be necessary to hold a corpse in the morgue for up to a week or more. Now, whether or not you believe in ghosts, it's got to be unnerving to think as, as you're sipping on your pina colada on the promenade, someone's poor Uncle Merv is resting in the cooler just a few floors below. And what about his soul? Is it still tethered to his body until you reach your next port of call? Or is it tethered to the ship for all eternity? The RMS Queen Mary one of the most famous cruise ships of all time, offers proof that more than a few spirits remain tethered to her. It's probably because she's a murder ship and a ghost ship. That's the worst kind of ship. But like any villain, she didn't start out on the dark side. To better understand how she came to be one of the most haunted ships on record, we first need to look at how she came into existence. Prior to widespread commercial flight, and the crap ton of diesels that are always slowing me down on the way to work, shipping was a major form of transportation. In 1889, German shipping magnate Albert Berlin noticed that one of his largest ships, the Augusta Victoria, was going largely unused for several months of the year. And this is when he got a genius idea. He got some of his rich pals to sign up for a pleasure trip from Germany to New York on the ship. This was the birth of the first modern cruise. But Albert wasn't content to use his crusty old shipping boats to cart his fancy friends all over the world. He soon commissioned the first real cruise ship, the Princessin Victoria Louise. 
painted a pristine white with an intricately carved and decorated bow, she looked more like a yacht, which I think was the whole point. On January 5th, 1901, the Princessin's Victoria Louise took her maiden voyage, also from Germany to New York. This was the first time a ship had been constructed and used solely for the purpose of leisure, and it was a raging hit. Very quickly, Boleyn's shipping magnate buddies caught on and began building their own luxury liners, warring to be the most lavish, most exclusive, and the fastest on the sea. The main contenders in this market were the Cunard Shipping Line, which was founded by Samuel Cunard, and the White Star Shipping Line, which was owned by Thomas Henry Ishmay. Yes, that's the same White Star Line who owned the Titanic, but that's a whole nother story. White Star began construction of their first luxury liner, the Oceanic, in 1928. Cunard, not wanting White Star to get a leg up on them, began building their own super ultra luxury liner in 1930. But by 1931, the Great Depression forced both companies to halt construction. Seeing an opportunity to jump ahead of White Star, Cunard applied to the British government for a loan to complete their ship. And the Brits approved it on one condition, that Cunard merge with White Star. Dope! Eventually, the two rivals did agree to join forces, and the ship was completed in 1934. To honor Great Britain, who'd made it all possible, Cunard planned to name the ship after the late Queen Victoria, who was still widely regarded as the greatest queen the British had ever seen. However, when Cunard asked Queen Victoria's grandson, the current sitting king, George V, for permission to name the boat after, quote, Britain's greatest queen, King George responded that his wife would be honored to have the boat named after her. His wife, not his grandmother, his wife, who was named Mary. And thus, the Queen Mary was christened. On a side note, and perhaps in foreshadowing, King George died right before the Queen Mary's maiden voyage. Rude! Now, he'd been sick and dying a slow death for a while, and it wasn't exactly unexpected, but it was revealed decades later that he technically had been murdered. In 1986, the diary of Lord Dawson of Penn, the king's royal physician, revealed that in order to preserve the king's dignity and send him off in style, Lord Dawson had injected the king with a fatal dose of morphine and cocaine. I mean, if I'm going to be murdered, this is how I want to go, for sure. Actually, if I even just get really, really sick, this is how I want to go. Honestly, this is the real reason I'm putting my kid through medical school right now. So I can go this way if needed. Anyway, shortly after the real Queen Mary became a widow, the ship that was serendipitously named after her took its maiden voyage in 1936. Hailed as the most lavish luxury liner ever to set sail. And the fastest. In fact, that same year, she set a record for the fastest passenger liner on the Atlantic Ocean. Bookmark that. It comes back into play later. And I feel like we've heard this one before. It's like the words most luxurious and fastest actually mean death and disaster. Stop tempting fate with these words, people. But the Queen Mary truly was magnificent, even by today's standards. At more than 1,000 feet long and 180 feet in height, she featured a three-story tall dining hall, 12 decks, two indoor swimming pools, tennis courts, multiple beauty salons, libraries, nurseries, and a music and lecture hall. She even had air conditioning and international telephones and dog kennels. 
and could carry up to 2,139 passengers. And that's like six times my hometown population on one boat. So what I'm saying is it was fancy. But the fancy times didn't last long, thanks to World War II raising its ugly snout in 1939. And with this, Cunard pulled a reverse Albert Boleyn and turned their cruise ship into a warship. They slapped a coat of stealth gray paint on the Queen Mary and nicknamed her the Grey Ghost. And that's more foreshadowing, my dudes. The Grey Ghost of Queen Mary became wartime famous. Adolf Hitler himself offered a bounty of $25,000 for anyone who could sink her. And perhaps this was because he knew that British Prime Minister Winston Churchill traveled aboard her under the pseudonym of Colonel Warden and was orchestrating D-Day from his cabin aboard the Queen Mary. Over the course of the war, she transported more than 800,000 Allied troops back and forth across the ocean, and she still holds the title to this day of most people aboard a ship at one time, 16,683. That's quite a feat for a ship whose actual max capacity was only 2,139 passengers. And you got to wonder what the bathroom situation was like. And forget the bathroom situation. During this time, many of the people aboard the ship had to sleep up on the decks, as there were obviously not enough beds either. And during this time, soldiers and war prisoners alike lost their lives to the harshness of the weather and the sea. Many died of heat stroke on a venture to Australia. Others perished in a storm in 1942, while the Queen Mary carried 11,339 soldiers and crew. Just off the coast of Scotland, the ship was hit by a massive wave and came within just a few degrees of capsizing. And like I said, there were nearly 12,000 passengers on a ship designed to hold 2,000, so hundreds, if not thousands, were likely to be on the top deck when the boat pitched over and were almost certainly thrown overboard. All in all, the Queen Mary served the Allied forces as best she could, except for an incident in October of 1942 when her need for speed resulted in mass casualties. At the time, the protocol for warships was to have an escort to provide anti-aircraft cover, that is, to travel ahead of the main vessel and shoot down any enemy planes that might be following it. The escort traveled in a zigzag pattern, which made it much harder target to hit. The goal here was for the Queen Mary to not be hit by enemy fire, as at the time she was carrying 10,000 troops. Now, for some unknown reason, the Queen's captain plowed straight ahead in a straight line at 28 knots, or about 32 miles per hour, which is ridiculously fast for a ship. To put this into perspective, the max average speed for a cruise ship now is 30 knots. So here's the Queen flying along like the Mario Andretti of the sea, and of course, she quickly catches up to her escort, the HMH Curacao. At that speed, there was no way for the Queen to get around the Curacao, and no way for the Curacao to get out of her path. The Queen sliced right through her escort, splitting the Curacao clean in half and sending 337 men aboard her to their deaths. Those who didn't drown when the sunken half of the ship dragged them to a watery grave were either chopped to bits by the Queen's propeller or left to freeze to death in the cold October ocean. Even worse, wartime protocol dictated that the Queen Mary was not to stop for anything, not even a rescue mission. So the captain that had made this deadly mistake and the troops aboard the Queen had to watch their comrades die and hear their screams of agony and pleas for help as they sped away unable to offer any assistance other than radioing for help. 
One of the most frequent paranormal activity on the Queen Mary to this day is the sound of phantom screaming, cries of pain, and the sound of metal shearing in half, which can be heard in the bows of the boat. These sounds are probably exactly what the crewmen aboard the Queen Mary heard while they braced themselves in her bows as she sheared through the Curacao. Perhaps this awful incident with the Curacao gave the Queen Mary her taste for blood, because as of her retirement in 1967, there were more than 50 documented deaths on her decks. And this doesn't include the soldiers, crewmen, and prisoners who died aboard her during the war. And it doesn't include everyone, as we will learn that some of the more unsavory deaths that happened were kept quiet for fear of scandal. So even though there's a plaque that hangs on the Queen Mary's walls that's engraved with the names of her victims, that list is far from complete. And while not all of these poor souls seem to remain on the ship, plenty more do. Here are the stories about some of her most active ghostly residents. At some point in World War II, the Queen Mary acquired some Austrian soldiers. The Austrians loyally supported the Germans and fought on their side, so logic tells us that if those men were on the Allied ship, they were prisoners. And apparently they were displeased with their meals because they somehow got loose and murdered one of the ship's cooks by shoving him into a roaring hot oven. Over the years, there have been numerous reports of poltergeist activity in the kitchen area where the cook was killed in. Strange screams, the clanking of pots and pans, and breaking glass have been heard coming from the galley long after it had been cleaned up and closed for the night. Of course, some of the noise can be explained by rough waters flinging stuff about, but it's still a really awful story. The next story is a story about watertight door number 13. This is probably the most famous story of tragedy that resulted in a haunting on the Queen Mary. Now, this ghost had been nicknamed Half-Hatch Harry, and the name is a whole lot cuter than what actually happened to the poor guy. The incident happened at watertight door number 13. Now, watertight door is located in the belly of the ship, and it's designed to keep water from flooding in and sinking the vessel. If you've seen the movie Titanic, you probably have an idea of how this works. As soon as the ship starts taking on water, the doors activate and seal off the rest of the boat. And since they're watertight, water can't get out, and neither can anyone else who can't get through the door before it shuts. The doors are power-operated and must uniformly close and seal within seconds in an emergency, and sometimes as quickly as 20 seconds. The ship's captain would routinely order door drills to train the crew to respond quickly in case of an emergency, and to get through the doors in seconds, lest they be trapped in the flooded belly of the ship and die. A drill could happen at any time, which is exactly what happened on July 10th, 1966. The captain of the Queen Mary ordered a watertight doors to be shut. Soon after the drill was over and the crew returned to the bowels of the ship, 18-year-old John Petter was found crushed to death in watertight door number 13. Fellow crewmen believed that John had been caught off guard by the drill and had rushed to retrieve his wrench before the door sealed shut and he hadn't been quite fast enough. Poor John began haunting the Queen Mary pretty soon after his gruesome death. He always appeared near watertight door number 13, either holding his missing wrench of death or asking if anyone had seen his wrench, and then disappearing before they could react. Later, when the ship's crew used guard dogs for patrol, the dogs would refuse to go near the door. John Petter's sightings still happen to this day. He always appears wearing white overalls and smeared with grease. After the Queen Mary's brutal behind was parked for good, John started pulling a pretty gnarly prank. Obviously, the ship was scrubbed down and cleaned for its new role as a tourist attraction, but multiple visitors have reported walking through watertight door number 13 and emerging with smears of grease on their faces and clothes. There's no grease down there anymore, 
But there was plenty of it in 1966 when the ship was at sea and John Petter and his crew used it to work on the machinery. I don't think I'd ever pass through watertight door number 13, even on a ghost tour. There's this scene in the movie 13 Ghosts in which a woman tries to dart through a sliding glass door before it shuts and gets sliced in half. And I saw that movie 20 years ago and the image still haunts me. It makes my stomach sick to even think about it now. The phrase sliced in half is what some sources use to describe what happened to John Petter. It's no wonder his poor soul still haunts the Queen Mary. Moving up from the bowels of the ship, we're going to go up to the swimming pool area. And the pool area is hands down the biggest hot spot for paranormal activity on the Queen Mary. There's so much going on here. Five specific ghosts frequently haunt the pool room. One is a woman who drowned in the 1930s, and she appears wearing a 1930s-style bathing suit and dives into an empty, drained pool. Of course, she never emerges. Another woman also drowned there in the 1960s. She appears wearing loungewear from that era and just relaxing poolside. Then there's a lady in a white tennis outfit who exits through the pool doors and walks down the hall and disappears at the end of it. Then there's Sarah, another young girl who drowned in 1949, there's also the ghost of a little boy named Daniel who died when he fell from the deck above the pool area. And after he died, he somehow found his way into the actual pool room. And perhaps he was led there by the pool's most famous ghost, who's believed to be that of a six-year-old girl named Jacqueline Torrin, who also drowned in the pool. Side note, does this pool have any lifeguards at all? Jeez. Anyway, Jackie, as they call her, has curly hair and is dressed in a pinafore, which is a loose sleeveless dress. Sometimes she carries a teddy bear. And she's often seen peeking from behind the pillars in the pool room. And she's also been seen and heard singing, dancing, skipping, laughing, and even crying out for her mommy or daddy. And although she's the most often seen in the pool room, she's not confined to there. Over the years, she's been seen and heard all over the ship. Once, a security officer spotted her around 1 a.m. standing at the end of the hallway. At that late hour, the officer thought she was just a lost child, so she asked if she needed some help. And Jackie responded by stretching her arms all the way up to the officer as though she wanted to be picked up. And then she vanished. Jackie has been captured on audio and video having lengthy conversations with people. In 1991, Peter James was exploring the ship and he encountered Jackie and recorded a 10-minute conversation with her. And in 2009, she was recorded again, this time for 17 minutes, in conversation with Brian Clune and Bob Davis from Planet Paranormal. On that note, Clune and Davis wrote a book called The Ghosts of the Queen Mary, which is full of firsthand passenger accounts of encounters with these ghosts, as well as photos that legit kept me up at night. I don't know about you, but I don't see a lot of ghost pics that are especially compelling. Most of them just look like they could be dust or tricks of light or, or really about anything. But some of the stuff I saw in this book was very convincing and very terrifying. So go check it out if you want to see what I'm talking about. And I used a lot of it for material for this podcast. In addition to the pool itself, the pool changing rooms are also haunting hotspots. The sound of wet feet slapping on concrete, people laughing and splashing and voices echoing and bouncing off the water have been reported regularly there over the years. But remember, there is no water in the pool to splash or to cause an echo. So why have there also been small, wet footprints leading from the pool's edge to the changing rooms? How? There is no water. 
In a video I watched on YouTube, which I'll link in the show notes, Eturiot explains that multiple psychic investigators have examined the pool changing rooms and determined that it contains a strong magnetic field that has formed a portal between the living world and the spirit world. This kind of reminds me of what they said about Eureka Springs at the Crescent Hotel, that there was a portal there as well. But in this case, the psychics claim that this portal has given between 300 and 600 spirits access to the Queen Mary. So I'm not sure how they came up with that number. I mean, did they use like one of those clicker things to count each ghost as they came through like they do when you go in the club to make sure that it's not at capacity? I don't know. I'm just curious. Let's move away from the spiritual vortex swimming hole from hell and on to the third class main staircase where it's been documented that three people have died, resulting in some friendly spirits who like to hang out by the stairs. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the Queen Mary almost capsized once in 1942, and that was probably due to the way she was constructed, which made her prone to pitching violently when hit by waves. In fact, this led to Mary's earning a second nickname, Rolling Mary. Again, a cute name, but not so cute considering that the ship's staircase did not initially have handrails. Engineers thought that because of her massive size, she would slice right through the water like butter and be unaffected by the movements of the ocean. I mean, keep into perspective, the Queen Mary was massive. She was twice the size of the Titanic. But they also didn't install handrails because the designers felt like handrails didn't really jive with the aesthetic. And this decision proved to be especially deadly on two occasions during which passengers were climbing the staircase and a wave hit the ship. Having nothing to hold on to for security, the passengers were violently thrown down the stairs and onto the deck below where they died of head injuries. One of those victims had been seen on the third-class staircase more than a dozen times. He's dressed all in black and is seen walking up the stairs only to disappear when he reaches the top as though that might have been the last place he was alive before the ship threw him down to the hard floor below and killed him. A third fatality happened on the staircase in 1936 during a storm. A child, a little girl, was having some fun sliding down the staircase railing. Now remember, this wouldn't have been possible had there been a handrail installed on top of that railing. But, as it was bare, sliding down the third-class stair rails was something that the children on the ship found irresistible. For the same reason, it was wildly dangerous. The ultra-steep pitch of the stairs made for an ultra-fast slide. Unfortunately, a wave hit the boat just as the girl was getting her slide on, and she was slammed onto the deck below, breaking her neck and killing her instantly. After that, the boat was ported, and finally, finally, handrails were installed on the ship's staircases. Too little too late for the poor little girl, though, and she has been seen numerous times hanging out on the landing where she died. The Queen Mary took on another ghost in 1949 when Senior Second Officer William Eric Stark asked a steward to fetch him a bottle of gin. The plan was to share a drink with a couple of new crew members to welcome them aboard. Now, instead of running all the way down to the bar to get the gin, the steward just ducked into a few rooms until he found a bottle in a random cabin. Apparently, gin was a popular drink because he found one pretty quick. And apparently, gin is a pretty foul drink because Officer Stark didn't realize that he was not, in fact, drinking gin. He was, in fact, drinking dry cleaning fluid. The bottle that the steward had found had been repurposed like so many margarine tubs in my grandma's fridge, drained of alcohol, and used to store something else. Stark was taken to the infirmary, where he suffered for days, but there was nothing the doctors could do for him to reverse the poisoning. 
He died an agonizing death and has been seen multiple places in the boat, most notably in the ladies' room, which at one time, at the time of his death, had actually been the men's room. Interesting, because probably after ingesting poison, he was in the men's room for quite a while. He's also been seen near the captain's quarters, on the promenade, and in the infirmary where he died. As someone who likes to drink, this one made me especially sad. If you Google Queen Mary hauntings, you'll likely turn up stories about cabin number B340, which is supposedly a hotspot for paranormal activity. However, there's nothing historically to back this up, and the hauntings of it are not very concrete or compelling. Cabin B-474 is where the real action is at. In 1959, a family of four were traveling from Southampton to New York and staying in Cabin B-474. There was a mother, a father, and two little girls, Dana, aged four, and Penny, aged two. Late one night, for some unknown reason, the father snapped. He strangled his wife and then moved on to his two young daughters. Then he went into the cabin's bathroom and shot himself. An employee heard the shot and found the bodies. And to avoid alarming the rest of the passengers, the entire family was interred in the ship's morgue until they docked in New York. Dana and Penny are two of the ship's more active spirits. The pair have been seen playing in the cargo and archives area, the theater green room, the boiler room, the royal theater, and, drumroll, the pool area. They sometimes are heard calling out for their mother, and it's especially sad to think that they're trapped on the boat and their mother, who died before them, might have moved on to the afterlife without them as well. But Penny and Dana may not be without a mother figure. Moving on to the Queen's Salon, which it was one time the main lounge, is said to be home to the famous Lady in White. No one is sure who she is. Some believe she's the ghost of a woman who was murdered by a jealous lover and whose body was hidden and later found in a cubby aboard the ship. In any case, she is, by all accounts, the queen of the Queen Mary. Dressed in a fabulous white evening gown, she's often seen in the salon dancing to unheard music. And clearly music is her thing, as she also started appearing in the lobby once a piano was installed there. She loves music. Once regaled to the salon, the lady in white, like many of the other spirits aboard the Queen Mary, has seemed to grown comfortable venturing out and has been seen virtually everywhere on the ship. She's also been seen comforting Jackie and Carrie and Dana and Penny and seems to have become sort of a mother figure to them. She's a gentle soul, making her one of the most popular and sought-after spirits on the Queen Mary. Now, The list of ghosts that have been seen on the ship goes on and on and on lending credence to the idea that there might really be some sort of interdimensional portal on it. And like I said, you can read more about each and every one of them in the Clune and Davis's book, The Ghosts of the Queen Mary. But I'd like to close with what I think is one of the most interesting hauntings on the ship. It's interesting to me because the man behind the ghost did not actually die on the Queen Mary. Captain John Treasure Jones signed on to work for the White Star Line in 1929 when he was only 16 years old. He spent the next 47 years of his life at sea. He was truly married to the ocean. And the last of his ladies was the Queen Mary. He took her over as captain in 1965 and was her last master, handing her over to retire in Long Beach in 1967. He himself retired eight months later and lived 25 good long years before his death in 1993. And while he died peacefully at the ripe old age of 87, Many believe that his spirit lives on inside the Queen Mary. He's been spotted all over the ship since his passing, in the wheelhouse where he spent two years guiding the ship across the ocean, 
In his old captain's quarters, where the familiar scent of his beloved cigars can be smelled, even though smoking on the ship is now strictly prohibited. He's near the propeller box also, where he's been heard worrying about the hole that was cut in it to prevent it from ever operating again. There have also been multiple reports of seeing the captain and crew members working on the bridge. Guests would then ask the staff about the realistic actors playing these parts, only to be told that there were no actors playing the part of the captain or the crew. The descriptions given always match Captain Jones, and one guest even picks his photo out of an album, identifying him as the man she saw on the bridge. And he is always, always dressed in his pristine captain's uniform. Captain Jones took great pride in his job and loved the sea. And although he died on the other side of the ocean from where the Queen Mary sat, why wouldn't he return to what he loved in the afterlife on the last ship he commandeered? Our final stop on the ship is the Royal Theater. And this is where virtually all of the ghosts who live on the Queen Mary have been seen at one time or another, and sometimes together. The Royal Theater seems to be a central meeting place for these spirits, much like the pool area, where they congregate, perhaps out of loneliness. The Lady in White, Jackie, Penny and Dana, Captain John Treasure Jones and Carrie, and many more have been seen and heard here, as well as one final and extremely important ghost, the Kitty de la Mar. Yes, there's a phantom kitty cat on the ship who roams around chasing mice and probably just being generally cute. But he or she lives mainly near the theater, you know, because every theater needs a theater cat. In her 85 years of life, the Queen Mary has seen tragedy and splendor, wartime and opulence, and she's carried prisoners, paupers, and royalty, as well as the rich and famous. Clark Gable, Frank Sinatra, and Audrey Hepburn have all taken her on pleasure cruises. Elizabeth Taylor even spent one of her 86,000 honeymoons on the ship. After Captain Jones turned her over to the city of Long Beach in 1967, the Queen Mary was converted into a 347-room hotel with five-star restaurants and ghost tours. For more than 50 years, you could spend some time on her and get a chance to meet some of her permanent residents. And each year, they ramped up the spooky factor with a wildly popular Halloween haunt. Then, in 2020, the hotel was forced to close due to the coronavirus pandemic, of course. But at this time, it was discovered that the ship was in dire need of expensive repairs. Complete demolition of the Queen Mary was considered. But, after a long time, the city of Long Beach decided to approve a $2.5 million funding to make those repairs. As one city council person put it, quote, Anywhere we go, the Queen Mary represents Long Beach. At this time, the Queen Mary remains closed to the public as those repairs are being made. I, for one, look very much forward to its grand reopening, and I'm sure that after such a long time without living visitors, the dead aboard the ship will welcome us back with open arms. Hey, you! Yeah, you! Thanks for listening! Your support means so much. It's everything. If you haven't already, please go follow us on Instagram at Oddity Podity Podcast. And if you want to be the most helpfulest, please go leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. And if there's something weird or creepy or strange that you'd like me to investigate and report back to you on, drop me an email at oddityPodity at gmail.com. That's O-D-D-I-T-Y-P-O-D-D-I-T-Y at gmail.com. See y'all next time.